0: Keep on the chip Ah, 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 hi, ah oh.
1: Jalaku baye,
2: Humasekela there. If you don't know what the name of that track is, I don't know which country you live in, man. That is a fantastic version. It's Humasekela live at the record plant in 1974. My favorite version.
3: Um,
2: Mandalanga, welcome to the show.
3: Thank you, Chris. Thanks for inviting me and thanks to your
2: Listeners on SAFM. I'm really glad we can tap your brain, you know, I, because I I, I get very, very tired of these people saying, no, Brahu would have said this and brahu would have said that when <laughs> when they met him in the toilet at, at Kippy's in 1996, you know. You, you, I mean, you and Hugh go back a very long way. Do you mind just sketching your personal history with Hugh Masakela on this, his 80th birthday?
3: Yeah. Well, I first met Prahiu in Lesotho, I was in exile, in 1980. Uh, That was the time when he arrived with uh, Miriam Akeba. Mm -hmm. And they had this wonderful, wonderful concert, which brought uh, more South Africans than the nationals into Maseru. So that's when we met, and uh, I was charged with having to interview him for a magazine uh, article. Mm-hmm. And uh, we spent the whole night indulging in stories, uh, him tapping me for what was going on inside South Africa, and me finding out what had been going on with him in his travels, in his odyssey across the world. Mm-hmm. But much more than all that, we were laughing our heads off. <laughs> In fact, by the time I tried to replay that tape, it was just full of giggles. (laughs) I can imagine.
2: (laughs) But how how politicized was he? I mean, was he a musician first and an activist second or the other way around? And I'm talking about those early days in Lesotho.
3: Yeah. I think he was a Mm pan-Africanist first. I think that was his first love, the African continent. And so everything that he did, his politics his music, everything, even his sartorial elegance had everything to do with with, uh, what was going on on the African continent. And uh, so for him it was, to what extent can he shoehorn the uh, tensions, the anxieties, the instincts of the African continent into his music. That's why I call him one of the Quintessential Africans. Even though he was a South African, he was miles uh, too far away from some of the concerns of South Africans. Uh, he was more concerned with what the African continent should achieve.
2: And and was that was that a consistent element of his life? Because I mean, what what sometimes happens with people is they get famous. And they get exposure, and they travel, and their roots kind of get dislocated a bit. Uh, did Brahu stay true to that Pan-Africanist vision, and also the cultural activist vision?
3: Well, look, just recently, uh, not recently, when he was awarded, the uh, given a, a um, doctorate by VETS University, one of his major, major, major uh, sermons was that People must go back to the African languages and debunk the pressures that have been imposed on them by colonial uh, languages. In essence, he was, you know, the decolonial movement that was taking place already. He was actually giving words to the music of that of, of that impulse.
2: Yeah. Mm, mm. And 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 did you? Did you stay in touch with him? I mean, I know, I know exile sounds like it's one place, but it, the world is a big place. Did you and Hugh stay cr- close throughout the time that you spent well, outside the country? For
3: most of the time. For instance, uh, we were involved in spearheading the cultural boycott. Mm-hmm. And so he was. He helped us get in touch with some of the musicians in other parts of, of the world. For instance, people like Stephen Van Zandt and... Uh, Bruce Springsteen, that whole movement, uh, I ain't going to play Sun city. It came from our conduct with some of those people through Hugh Maseghella's uh, intervention. And of course, like my other late friend, uh, Hottetil, mm-hmm. he became the unofficial ambassador that connected us to ever so many, so many parts of the African diaspora. And... Uh, yeah, we kept in touch, even at the time when he then had to come down uh, to to perform in Zimbabwe. We were in touch. Yeah,
2: but life in exile wasn't a walk in the park, right? I mean, there were, and and, and, I, and I don't want to underestimate what it was like. The you know the constant threat of attack, the the fact mm-hmm. that you were dislocated from your own country, you were working in a band organization. Yeah, how how did did that take a toll on 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 cultural activists in general, or did it motivate you, the fact that you wanted to come home and you wanted to apply your skills in a a different kind of South Africa?
3: Mm. You know, I always uh, quote this uh, British or English uh, writer, David Hare, who says, an exile walks around the world carrying in his head an image of a perfect universe. So in all those years, we carried the, image of the perfect universe, which was home. Everything we did was to make sure that we finally returned home and and, and found ourselves there. So the dangers of exile, the deprivations, it wasn't, as you are saying, a and uh, place. Mm. You know, some of the more uninformed people would talk, for instance, of, let's say, saying Oliver Tambo was living in the pots of London another 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 exotic locations there was no such a thing it was a hard struggle mm. and we must not forget that it's, a, it's one thing for people to die it's another thing for people to die in exile without the possibility of being buried mm. at home
2: mm. I mean I, did you did you talk was it an issue for you the the kind of ethical challenges that we face today. I mean, I, revolution, post-revolution, completely different. But were, were there concerns about the fact that the, I mean, the ANC wasn't good and clean and fresh, right? It had its mm-hmm. own. It had its own scandals and exiles. Um, there, there were problems inside the country that had to be addressed as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, was there an awareness? Did you discuss that? Was there a concern about some of those issues?
3: One of O.R.'s Oliver Tumble's oft the statements was that uh, whilst the struggle is difficult, what's going to be more difficult is when we get inside the country and we have to run the country. Mm-hmm. And I think he was foreseeing uh, a situation which maybe is obtaining or prevailing or which was actually the subject of your discussion you know, a couple of uh, minutes ago. Mm-hmm. We did have that. We did have scenarios. But what was very important for us was that a lot of us were struggling because we had to. It was something that was was right, was correct. It was not because there was something, a benefit, you know, at the end of the, of the horizon. And so... We, also, we were blessed with ethical leaders, you know, people that you could look up to and still, years after, you know, being being involved in the struggle, you know, that they never, never took a cent of, uh, of uh, the struggling people of South Africa. We had O.R. Tambo, Mama Sisulu, Nelson Mandela, Lilian Goi, Those are some of the icons that we had every time we took a step towards anything. And so we did discuss uh, what the new South Africa was going to most likely look like. But I think in our discussions and in our debates, there wasn't any real understanding of what this future was going to pan out to be.
2: I I know you and Brahu stayed very close once. We won the first phase of political struggle and and we got our political freedom. And you came back, Brahu came back, there was a, there was a wonderful atmosphere in the country mm-hmm. um but things going to change as lkj says um did you did you keep talking about the way the anc was um changing once in government
3: we did keep talking and uh, if you remember one of the first things we did uh, when we got together was to collaborate on a play on a musical milestones which featured you, uh, I wrote the book, mm-hmm. and you wrote the music, uh, working together with Spongile and uh, other, other, other artists. And some of the uh, incipient um, rot that uh, we have now to deal with was beginning to happen, was beginning to come about, and we did speak about this. And uh, but there was no sense of disillusionment, and I'm, I'm sure. Even when he did pass away, there wasn't a sense of disillusionment. There was a sense that there's a lot of work to be done. The struggle continues as the phrase goes, and the struggle changes colors and changes uh, its material, how do you say this uh, circumstance.
2: I, I don't want to draw you into this conversation about the ANC list, but, I mean, you are an icon within the ANC itself.
3: I hope so. <laughs> uh,
2: trust me, Dr. 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 Langer, <laughs> you are. Um, if, if, if you were sitting down with Brahu today, drinking coffee, I would imagine, Americanos, um, mm. and you were discussing this p- particular issue, where do you think the conversation would go?
3: Well, I think the conversation would be uh, what, political party would we uh, throw our hat into or our allegiance into and uh, I think we would both agree that given the time tested resilience of the ANC people make a mistake and think of the ANC as something that consists only of individuals Mm. and forget Mm. of its DNA and its capacity to to correct itself once things become incredibly difficult. And uh, we do think that we would have come to that kind of conclusion that this is where we would go and trust our own instincts towards making sure that we will work within it to change it.
2: So so did I hear you correctly? You would be discussing which party to vote for. It, it's, Absolutely. It wouldn't be a done deal. It wouldn't be a
3: well it would be it would be more or less a done deal, but the events uh, of the past ten years have really shaken a lot of people's faith. but I believe that uh, with every 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 revolutionary circumstance, there are phases when things go down into the to the doldrums, and we have been in the doldrums, but we do have the capacity to come out of it.
2: Mm. We, we have a caller, Mike, um, from Durban, who has a slightly larger uh, story to tell about Hugh Masekela, um than the one I referred to about meeting someone in the kippies' toilet. Mike, welcome to the show. Thank you for calling in.
0: Good evening, Chris. Welcome to SAFM. Thank you. I'm a regular caller to the SAFM programs.
2: Did you listen last uh, night?
0: I'm Mike from, Dur- from Durban's Wrecked and Polluted Beachfront.
2: Uh,
0: yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Some, uh, for quite a, quite a number of years I worked as a, in the lighting control field mm-hmm. and I was contracted by Holiday Inns to supervise the installation of the stage lighting in Swaziland at the Royal Swazi Spa in the new convention centre 1983. And you, Mr Keller, came, came down to do a show there uh, with La Lombom- Bombo from mm-hmm. Pretoria. They were also, I believe, one of them passed away last year. You might recall that.
2: Yes. Anyhow, you. I think you're talking about uh, Philip Tabani.
0: Yeah, my well, my we met a fantastic he yeah, was Hugh was his uh, flugel. And the one evening he came knocking on my bedroom door in the golf wing of the, of the hotel and presented me with an LP record. Uh, autographed by him. Thanks, Mike, for the liking. Mm. Uh, it was called Playing for a Dollar Note.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: You might find that song and play it for
2: us. Let's see if we can find that, yeah. I would,
0: we got I, on very really well together.
2: Have you still got the album?
0: No, it was stolen. Oh, no.
2: Well, I hope whoever took it appreciates it. Just for younger listeners' records. Oh, i I'm sorry. Just for younger listeners, records are these big pieces of plastic that we used to listen to music on They They're, they're yeah, very but special. I
0: have fond memories of him
2: there. How did he strike you? I mean, I, I, my encounters, I'm not really going to talk about, but I mean, incredibly affable person, right? Incredib- a real sort of joyful life, if you could say that. Mm.
0: Actually, I think he was there with his second wife
2: mm-hmm.
0: at the hotel. I Great, she wasn't well at the
2: time. Mm-hmm. Thanks for sharing that uh, that ex- encounter with us, Mike. Uh, I can no, really appreciate very
0: it. In Kiba,
2: thank you very I mean, much. I
0: can't remember her name. I'll
2: make Don't worry about it. We'll it'll it'll come back to you. But thank you very much for the call. I really appreciate it. Mandla, Hugh, you, you, and, you and you and Hugh's stories are are lovely. I mean, you talk you talk about that initial encounter in Lesotho. You talk about the the giggling, etc. You you have so many stories about Hugh Masekela. What are you going to do with him?
3: Well, <laughs> I didn't see that one coming.
2: <laughs> you know, I always want another book. I do
3: believe that there is a need for a much more, uh, you know, thought out, write up on Rahu uh, Perhaps he deserves a musical about him Mm. or something like that but something much more grander, bigger uh, to reflect his life because his life was not just for Masigela it was not for his family or for his clan as it were it was for all of us, for South Africans and for Africa and for the African diaspora so I keep on saying that he was far ahead of his time. For instance, if you look at the last album, or one of the last albums, No Borders, and he's dealing with this question that is plaguing us right now, Mm. uh, xenophobic violence against Africans who are in this country. And uh, he would be turning in his grave, you know, right now. So we do need to find a way of reflecting on that and drawing from his life, lessons that can help us to navigate this very, very tricky period we finding ourselves in.
2: Yeah, I, I mean, I think the idea of a musical is a great one. I, there's another story, though, which is was actually the role that culture cha- played um, in reinforcing the struggle for liberation. I mean that that's another that's another night, that's another conversation. But Absolutely. there's there's an intersect there. I mean, what, what is Do you remember, Hugh, you spoke about how he sort of helped to organize the Sun City boycott, etc. He would obviously be a key player in any story about the role that the cultural movement played in liberating South Africa.
3: Mm. Yes. If you look at uh, the time when we were dealing with that whole question of the cultural boycott, if you look at the fact that uh, it was musicians, and cultural workers who really put uh, South Africa on the map mm-hmm. and the strivings of South Africans. So that is one story that you would tell forever and ever. And uh, to acquaint or a pecan flavoring to this whole story would be also having been uh, with people who passed away, who were killed by the South African regime. Some of them People who were his own relatives, like George Pache, who was killed in Botswana, you know, the Khabarone raid. So his life was immersed in ensuring that the African consciousness, uh, the African political consciousness, is there for the international community to know, but much more importantly, for us, those who are the consumers of the arts, she
2: would also know this. Mandalanga, beautiful as always. Thank you very much for sharing your experiences and your encounters with Brahi Masakela. Really appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thanks for inviting me. Let's give Brahu another blow and then we'll take the news.
1: find in a She oh, my man? He ma
2: Bajabule Bonke, also known as the Healing Song, from an album that might have been quite romantically named The Promise of a Future. Yeah.